Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organisation sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 11 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Dr. Kevin Zokai with me. Kevin is an expert in business transformation, working with industries ranging from retail and manufacturing through to financial services. Kevin co-authored the award-winning book, Creating a Lean and Green Business System, which outlines the approaches taken by a number of our leading businesses to develop a culture of continuous improvement Focus on achieving holistic outcomes for people, profit, and the planet. Kevin is here today to share his recent studies and work supporting organizations in the field of happiness. He is truly a person who has dedicated his career to creating a better future. Let's get into the episode. I've got with me today Dr. Kevin Zokai, expert in all things enterprise excellence, author of the book Creating a Lean and Green Business System, and we're here today to talk about happiness and excellence and the part the two play together to truly achieve greatness in an organization. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me and uh, good afternoon to you, Brad. And Thanks, good Kevin. morning from, uh, from uh, sunny London. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, before we get fully into the conversation around happiness and excellence and the part the two play together, do you mind telling us what, in your backstory, what set you on a path around the topic of happiness and also the topic of enterprise excellence. Of course. Um, so I have to say sheer stroke of good luck uh, on, on both accounts, uh, happiness and uh, enterprise excellence. Well, happiness, in fact, happened only maybe around um, um, six years ago or so. Um, but I have to rather embarrassingly have a moment of confession and admit that um, uh, I had resisted it uh, maybe subconsciously for a very long time. Uh, in fact, I remember as a 12-year-old, I had a great teacher who influenced me for better a lot. Um, and the, the same teacher asked me to write an essay on happiness. Um, and I was thinking to myself, in a world full of vanity, in a world, uh, in, a, in a sorry, in a world full of misery, it's complete vanity to write about your own uh, happiness. And uh, uh, you, uh, I, I have to um, add to it a little bit about my own personal story. I am Iranian. So this happened in, uh, you know, 1980s. It would have been late 1980s in Tehran when, when this teacher asked me to write about happiness. And if, in fact, if you think about it, uh, it was it was a country going through a war. It would have been just coming out of it or towards the end of it. Um, and um, you could see a lot of poverty and misery and problems. And of course, um, theocracy, dictatorship, that sort of thing that had happened at the time. And, you know, there, there was clearly room for uh, a lot of improvement, let's say, <laughs> using the continuous improvement language. <laughs> so, Kevin, you had this, you were living in this country where all sorts of crazy and terrible things were going down. You had a teacher getting you to write about happiness. Happiness, yes. And I thought, oh God, I mean, that is, that surely is just vanity and that surely is wrong. And I can, like any 12 year old with lots of altruistic ideas, I was thinking to myself, oh, surely 
I am not going to sit here and define my own happiness to myself and think about my own happiness. That is surely wrong. And um, um, of course, uh, it, it uh, took me maybe 30 years since uh, there or thereabouts to actually realize that is in fact the most important thing. That is in fact the most important currency in anyone's life. And that is the one subject that is worth writing about and thinking about. <laughs> and Kevin, what was, that, what was that trigger point six years ago that made you pull it all together and go, wow, actually what that teacher was talking to me about all those years ago is actually highly relevant? And I have to say that I had forgotten all about it. And I have to also admit that that uh, one essay was one essay that I never submitted. <laughs> so, um, um, and many years later, I, was, uh, I had gone to um, work in academia and after that work as a management consultant. And I was um, consulting to an international firm who um, have in fact offices all around Australia as well. And the global HR director, uh, pulled me, who, who is a great friend, by the way. Uh, I'll yeah. name her Dolores. And uh, Dolores pulls me to the side and says, well, you talk about the why behind doing improvement, right? I said, yes, that's the most important thing. You should know your why. And I gave my usual consulting spiel on it. Uh, that's, that's really important. If you don't know your why, then you can't really um, do much on, on your continuous improvement journey. Uh, and then she says, well, so what is the why behind this lean thing that you keep banging on about? And um, well, of course, I could have given her the standard answer and all of that, but I, I, I sunk for a second. I had that sort of sinking feeling for a second because I think uh, she hit a chord with me at that moment. And I was, okay, now hang on a moment. Um, I'm not really able to answer that question because surely your personal well-being, your authentic happiness is the question here. Um, everybody's authentic happiness. Um, and um, that was the moment that I realized that um, uh, you know, uh, around the, so I, I can't say it was it, was it that very second or maybe hours later that it came to me that I'd resisted writing uh, this essay on happiness many, many years ago. And I realized, oh, oops, okay, I, I probably have missed a very important topic and I better go and think about it and read up on it now. Wow, so that, that's the story, yeah. <laughs> so that trigger point of Dolores talking to you about that really brought an aha moment. Yes, it, it did. As it is for most of us, you, you need that sort of, um, that aha moment, maybe a small wake-up call, maybe a friend um, challenging you um, in the nicest possible way, in the safest possible way. And um, I think she challenged me um, in, a, in a very friendly way. And she was, but, but what's the, and, and I have to now admit that we go to organizations and we say, oh, you have to improve. And we go to all these great employees who work in those organizations and we offer them continuous improvement toolkits and we offer them really um, sometimes fairly complicated continuous improvement systems. And um, we also talk about why in the spirit of what Simon Sinek talks about, know your own why. But do we really talk about the why, which is your own selfish happiness? And there is nothing wrong with being selfish, by the way. In fact, it's the healthiest thing you can do. If you're all uh, selfish in a healthy way, we can help each other. And we'll, we'll create a much happier and better world, of course, altogether. Yeah, too true. Too true. Kevin, I want to come back to this piece on 
happiness and the power it can provide to a, a continuous improvement or an excellence journey. But how did you go from Iran to become a consultant and best-selling award-winning author in London? Well, um, so I, I did my undergrad studies uh, um, in, in a good university in Tehran, and um, I went to get a job in oil and gas industry, a good job and um, a middle-class job um, with, with some good future. And um, I, I uh, decided to, it was my dad, in fact, uh, who nagged me. Um, he, he is... Um, uh, he studied at Imperial College in London back in the 70s, and um, he nagged me and funded me to go and do a master's degree. And I uh, went to do a master's degree at Warwick University in the UK, a very good yeah. place to study. And um, I got introduced to very interesting uh, professors and very interesting subjects. And um, I did my master's degree uh, dissertation on lean and green, as it happened. Um, yeah. So that was the beginning of a, of a bit of a journey. So when I, when I was doing my research on Lean and Green and bearing in mind that these are, this is um, 2001, 2002, and um, in my research, I came across a newsletter that Jim Womack had put out. Um, um, in fact, I think um, I'm not sure if I had contacted him and then he put out the newsletter or just after he had put out the newsletter. Uh, I, I have a copy of that newsletter uh, wow. to date. And the newsletter talks about lean and the, the, the concept of lean still is very fresh. And they're talking about, he's talking about lean is also going to deliver some sustainability benefits. Uh, lean is also green. And um, <clears throat> Um, in conversation with John, Jim Womack, he said, well, you know, uh, I have my co-author and colleague, Dan Jones, who is uh, nearer to you. Why don't you contact him and ask his opinion? And by the way, he has different opinions because quite rightly so, Dan was saying that, well, be careful. Lean doesn't always lead to sustainable benefits. In fact, in many cases, if you're not careful and conscious, it leads to the opposite. And it's true to date. We know that. So, uh, when I contacted Van, uh, it led to one of his colleagues coming up to Warwick for a meeting. And uh, during the meeting, they offered me a job. Uh, so, um, yeah. and, and the job was come here to Lean Enterprise Research Center at Cardiff University for a year or two and go back to your, uh, to your old job. And, uh, you know, famous, uh, famous last few words. And we are like 17 years on and I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> And hey, what wow. a great place to be, Lurk, because, you know, rubbing shoulder with um, some of the greatest minds in the world of continuous improvement. Um, you had um, the likes of Peter Hines, Dan Jones, John Vicino, John Darlington, Nick Rich, you know, you name it, uh, uh, a dozen uh, brilliant minds. Um, and uh, they, they all influenced they all influenced me and it was fantastic research. I have to say one piece of research that I had gone there to, to do was, was Lean and Green. And that was the one piece of research that took six years until we had a proper project and, uh, to work on Lean and Green finally, because uh, the industry was very interested to fund uh, lean projects, of course. And we had to, under the radar, uh, think about the sustainability benefits uh, a lot of researchers at Lurk um, were interested in that, but it was always under the radar. Yeah. 
Well, you certainly ended up with some good names that you were working on that resulted in that book, Creating a Lean and Green Business System. You know, Marks and Spencers, Tesco's. I really enjoyed reading it and have read it multiple times since. But Kevin, Thank it you, seems man. to me like you've always been working in the field of happiness and excellence. Because from what I see, even Lean and Green, that environmental purpose and to make a bigger difference, I've seen that bring happiness to so many organizations, but then also inspire them to move on to bigger and better things. Well, I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, you could be right. <laughs> I think you are right. In fact, um, they're all one and the same thing. It's difficult to distinguish between them. Yeah, and you, it's been very unique, your career, in that what you've worked with has been higher level, you know, higher mastery, that focus on the environmental to achieve excellent and achieve excellence at the same time. Now we're talking about happiness and focusing on human happiness and using that to help drive an excellence journey. What is the secret to that? What are the key ingredients you've found to truly harness happiness to your people to then help you achieve excellence as an organization? Well, um, I wish I had a quick answer for that, <laughs> but I try my best to. Uh, maybe that's actually a very interesting question and maybe a very big question too. I, I have to say... Um, organizations who do, um, who successfully go on the transformation journey, they definitely know their why. <laughs> that's, mm. that's for sure. And they know their why in a way that relates to each individual that uh, is around there. So, and, and these are not just um, for-profit organizations. Some of them are not for-profit organizations. They connect to people's why personal uh, raison d'etre um, successfully. And I'm not sure if I am answering your question, but here is my experience. Those individuals um, get a kick out of the day job. So we know that profit um, and growth are the consequence of uh, the focus, the overt focus, not just covert focus, the overt focus on the purpose. Um, so um, you and I were talking about Autolift the other day. I think that's yeah. uh, you. You worked for Autolift, Brad, didn't yeah, you? Worked with Autolift, yeah. Yes, and you told me that Autolift know their purpose. Um, we save lives, and this is, is of course, um, just for the listeners. This is a company that manufactures um, uh, airbags, and in the right moment, that is saving someone's life. So um, you were telling me, and and maybe you. Maybe you could share that too. Now, now I am asking you the question, Brad. <laughs> no but, problem. Yes, yes. Kevin, Dan, you know, when I was working with Auto Live, which was down in their plant in Victoria in Australia, every employee knew that purpose and that purpose inspired them every day. It inspired them to ensure they're producing the highest quality. It inspired them to bring up ideas. And I think you're exactly right when you say that the secret's happiness because working for an organization that had a purpose like that brought them happiness, that happiness brought motivation and that motivation led to continuous improvement in all aspects of the organization. Um, absolutely. And you know, something that has been bothering me uh, and it's on, on my mind in the, in the recent years um, is the fact that as we automate and as we robo-source, so robots and automation replaces humans, we're not just um, creating a potential economic issue. Um, 
be more importantly, I think, because the economic issue we can deal with, we, we know that we, we've always been in where machines replace humans for the past uh, couple of decades since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, sorry, it's past couple of centuries, I mean, since yeah. the Industrial Revolution. And um, we've always dealt with it. I, I, I think we will, we will continue to deal with that economically. But what about um, the, the social aspect? The fact that jobs give people purpose, um, mm. we, we need more positive jobs like companies like Autolift. Um, we don't have nearly enough of them out there. Uh, a job is just a job. We hear that expression a lot. Every time I hear that expression, it's just a job I cringe because life's too short. <laughs> and we spend a lot of time at work. And we spend, you're spending uh, eight to 10 hours easily at work. And if you include commute, it will be more than that. I, I wish we could, and, and then we're sleeping eight hours a day. So what's left to us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a big part of our lives. Absolutely, Kevin. If you if we had a leader here now, and he was going, okay, I want to look at ways to bring happiness into my workplace, and I want to be able to create that inspiration to create a culture of continuous improvement. Where would you tell him or her to start? What advice would you give them? Well, I, I might start telling her, make your peace with the word happiness. <laughs> because, you know, like uh, caveman 12-year-old, it, 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 it is a word that we don't always make our peace with. Um, so it comes, uh, comes across a little bit like um, happy and chirpy, <laughs> like mm. cheerfulness. Yeah. It's not about that, of course. Um, it's about being grounded and being connected, knowing yourself. Um, in fact, the best exercise the gurus in the field of happiness tell you to do is to meditate. <laughs> that's, that's, the one, uh, that's the one technique that all the gurus tell you will bring you happiness in, in, in short space of time, maybe in, a, in about 20, 21 days, in fact, scientifically proven, by the way. Now, um, maybe she needs to consider what is really happiness or genuine happiness, authentic happiness, well-being, and make their peace with it. And the fact that um, that's, you know, even money, when you have money, is a promise of happiness in the future because that's all it is. We, we are going to buy comfort and convenience and uh, cheerfulness and uh, relaxation with that money. Uh, it's a bill that brings you happiness in the future. So make your peace with that concept and put it at the core of everything you do. Um, so, so in a way that is very obvious and simple, making it, it's, and you have to go through all of that complexity to reach that simplicity. Make it simple and accessible for everybody. Yeah, so Kevin, if I hear you right, you're saying it, it really needs to start with that leader and they need to make peace and find that place of happiness and calmness themselves. And from there, they can then really take a direction to help their people and help the broader organization? Um, I, I would say it's really important for the leadership to do it. Um, I wouldn't say if um, it needs to start with them. It's, it's much better if it started with them. But uh, we have seen how influential an individual can be a single individual and um, we all have stories of Fred who worked on the shop floor and we all know who Fred is and we went to Fred 
and said, um, well, today I'm having a bad day. Give me some inspiration. We obviously didn't use those words, but we all know who Fred is and who to go to. We need more Freds, really, quite frankly. Um, and, and, and by the way, um, Freds in this world are doing it in spite of the environment. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about them. In, in a metal bashing environment, I know, uh, I know a Fred, if you like, who everybody knows that Fred is a source of inspiration. And everybody knows that Fred is um, the one person you go to if you want some wisdom and some advice. And I, I think we don't have to wait for the leadership to do it. We can all be a Fred. It's <laughs> a good point. Kevin, you've inspired so many people throughout your career and the books you've written. Who have been some people that have inspired and motivated you? Oh, uh, long list. Uh, how much time do we have? But I have to say, um, Hunter Lovins has been a great influencer. Uh, and, and I have the you know, honor to call her a friend now. Um, the, the book, Natural Capitalism, of course, a best-selling book back in 1999, 2000s. Um, at the turn of the century. And I think the idea that you can marry um, um, uh, capitalism with, uh, with sustainability, the idea that you can fix uh, the world as we have it today is based on capitalism. The idea that you can fix it is a very powerful um, idea. The fact that we have to fix it, we have no doubt about it. But uh, I mean, what are the alternatives to fight it, to ditch it? Um, I mean, I, I, if I may share another personal story, um, one of the first books I went, well, possibly the first book I went into Warwick University's library to search for was uh, Urban Gorilla by Che Guevara. Uh, it was banned in Iran, of course yeah. it was, and I was just curious to read it. And um, that day I came out of the library with a couple of books, and one of them was actually Natural Capitalism. Uh, and and uh, what a great book when you read it and say, I, I remember the first chapter and you can't put it down. I think, wow. So you've got, you've got a choice here to try to uh, be a, a force for good and, and actually everything is eminently fixable or you can just um, be a bit miserable about it and try to fight back. <laughs> And I think I, I made my peace with the idea. So, okay, let, let, let's try to fix this. <laughs> Gavin, has that been a key motivator for you throughout your career? And what other motivators have really kept you in this industry of continuous improvement, which I know can be really tough at times? It can be tough, as you and I both know, Brad. It can be a lonely place sometimes when, uh, yes, we, you, you do that. I get inspiration every day from um, all these continuous improvement champions, all these um, change champions, transformation champions out there. Yeah, yeah, they know who they are. And um, you're asking me about the, the moments or the actual people who are inspiring me. The inspirational elements that you see day to day that really keep you going, get you up the next morning and get you out there again. Um, so for, for me, of course, um, maybe rather selfishly is when um, you have people come and say, well, this, this actually has changed something for me. And uh, I have been able to deliver X, Y, and Z, especially if you know that uh, they mean it and there's a bit of a backstory, personal backstory behind it. That is absolutely marvelous to come across. That, that is, these are, um, sometimes I'm longing to read, read something like that, um, 
one that uh, stuck in my mind was 2010 in, uh, in China. And a Chinese engineer uh, wrote, oh, well, now we see the business. Oh, sorry. We, we, now we see the factory that's in, in our factory. Yeah, and, true. And, you know, that sort of thing. Well, it's a really nice motivative purpose. And I think if you're in continuous improvement, seeing others grow and develop is a really powerful thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's the best thing you can possibly ask for is, is when people go on their own normative journey and their own experiences in their own way, which is absolutely um, unique and ingenious. That's the whole point is that, um, and they come and explain to you what happened there. That is marvelous. <laughs> What are some key elements that an organization can take back and really put into practice to try and create more happiness and excellence within their organization? What are the three top things you would give them as advice? Ooh. Um, well, so it's, um, it's probably knowing, um, knowing yourself um, and um, knowing your customer. Is, is, these, these are cliche almost. But uh, these are very, very important. It's incredible uh, how difficult it can be truly to know yourself and to know your customer. And then, then of course, the bridge the gap between those two elements is very important. Uh, what we do see a lot is that companies have no shortage of smart. Companies have loads of very good ideas around. And uh, there is no shortage of uh, good tools and techniques for improvement. In fact, if anything, we have... Um, way too much. <laughs> so there is, yeah. there is no problem there. But how to systematically bring these together um, and the how is, as you and I have been discussing before, Brad, too, the how is sometimes missing. In, in many, many cases, it's missing. And, and the reason it's missing is that because we don't know our why very well. So it goes back to that story. In fact, um, if, if I had to put, hazard a guess, I would, I would say maybe 80% of the organizations out there are not fulfilling their potentials. That is unfortunate. <laughs> that's, that's way too many organizations, way too many people out there. And the 20% that are on the journey um, to, to fulfill their potentials, there is an 80-20 there as well. So maybe only 20% of the 20%, 4%, are really truly going towards the excellence part. And those companies for sure have gone past the what and the smart tools and techniques that is around them. They have connected with a systematic way of connecting the people and processes and align it to their purpose. Um, now, even better, they have discovered their timeless values um, that again, you and I have been discussing, Brad. And the, these are inspired by, of course, authentic happiness, and, um, and uh, continuous improvement, so on and so forth. So they know the, what are the personal values and timeless values, and then they know their core purpose. What's their why? Why are they going on that journey? Wow. There's a bit to it, but where would you advise people to go look to be able to find some more information on that topic you're talking about there on how to truly lead an organization to excellence through building greater happiness? Um, I have to say there is absolutely no shortage of... Um, good material out there. Um, I would for sure, uh, I, I, I think most people have already, but uh, if, if someone hasn't, I would for sure go and watch uh, Simon Sinek's video, the famous eight minutes video on YouTube that has been watched tens of millions of times and, and maybe watch it again and again. 
And a lot of good organizations are getting inspiration from the idea of Golden Circle and uh, the, all sorts of good ideas that Simon Sinek can. By the way, um, the, the whole idea of the infinite game, I'll be in it for a finite game. Is there a win-lose here? Or no, actually, this is a business is, a, is an infinite game of win, 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 and thinking long-term and strategic. Um, if a leader is in a place that is looking for genuine transformation, uh, also bear in mind that's a very privileged place to be. Many, many leaders don't get to be there. So yeah. if you're privileged enough to be in that space and genuinely think about it, wow, uh, you're very lucky. And, and also I applaud, applaud the fact that you've managed to be there. It's a real achievement, isn't it? Yes, Gavin, it's a great achievement. Yeah, Gavin, final question. What have you learned recently that you haven't known before? What's been a recent insight you've come across? Well, um, it has to be something to do with COVID-19, isn't it, Brad? Yeah. Uh, I, I, we had a child a month or so to, uh, before COVID-19 broke. And uh, so I have learned two things. One is um, how precarious our lives were things that we take absolutely for granted. So um, if, if you and I, Brad, we are traveling consultants and we're constantly on the road, on a plane, uh, and uh, how much we're taking this for granted. In fact, I was supposed to be on a plane to Australia um, just around the time that we went into a lockdown. So you can imagine um, what a great impact it might have on you and, and on all of us. <laughs> On, on absolutely everybody who wasn't impacted by COVID-19. So it taught me a great lesson. Um, um, and at the same time, when I look at my six-month-old baby, for him, nothing has changed in this world. Yet to him, this is absolutely normal. Yeah. So <laughs> when you marry the two, this huge change that is so normal to a six-month-old, this this you know, is such a sobering message that it sends me. It's been dramatic, hasn't it? But it's such it a, has, a yes. great story you tell there from your six-month-old child that this is normal to us, <laughs> that we've been through dramatic changes. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It also shows how much humans have the, uh, the ability to adapt to the circumstances. It's amazing. Kevin, the, the part too, I guess, in times like this, happiness is even more important to keep that personal happiness and understand that and focus on that as amongst mm -hmm. everything else. Because I guess, like you said, COVID has showed us that there's so many things that we did and spent our time on and we're worried about that really is inconsequential compared to what we've seen in the last six months. Absolutely. They are. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing knowledge and insights around happiness and excellence, lean and green, your amazing story of your career and your life through. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brad, for um, very interesting and intelligent questions. Um, and um, you are absolutely, you got me to think a lot uh, during the, the whole conversation we had. So uh, thank you for your time as well and for having me. Thanks, Kevin. What a great episode from Dr. Kevin Zokai on the topic of happiness and the importance of that in the workplace. The key points I took from this episode was to start with yourself as a leader. And then the second that I talk was really to define your vision and purpose 
and let other teams and people put it into their own language. So the key steps I'd see for that, you know, from a leadership point of view and Cave had mentioned, was really focus on getting yourself right with sleep, food, exercise, meditation, mindfulness, all these key aspects to really get us in a great place as a leadership, which helps us then lead happiness throughout the organization. And with vision and mission or just cause and purpose, I really take that the key steps can be to define that as an organization in a way that has a bigger purpose to it and then take that to the teams and help them define it in their language and then down to the individual. This is a really powerful approach that I've seen done in a number of organizations and can really help. I hope you all gained a lot of value from this episode and thank you again, Dr. Kevin Zuckai.